Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, Campaign Magazine's weekly podcast talking about everything in advertising, marketing, and media. I'm Brittany Kiefer, the Creativity and Culture Editor, and today I'm joined by Kate McGee, Associate Editor, and Maisie McCabe, UK Editor. So I have convened Kate and Maisie to have this sort of parents' evening or campaign's version of a parents' evening to talk about the school reports, which we released last week. And school reports, I would say, are two words that kind of uh, incite fear in the hearts of some people, including many campaign journalists. Um, But Maisie, do you want to explain for those who maybe aren't familiar, what are the school reports and how do we do them and why do we do them every year? Sure. So the school reports have been going on for a long time, um, certainly um, as long as anyone in sort of living campaign memory. And we are, there are kind of definitive look at the health of the UK agency landscape. So we kind of pick a number of agencies. This year it was 100 Um, And each agency fills out a form, which we kind of interrogate. We look back at the last year's form and then we obviously use our journalism about that agency during the year um, and try and make an assessment of how their year is, kind of judging themselves against their history and their heritage as opposed to kind of against other agencies in that year. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, as part of that, we give agencies as a mark which is out of nine with one being a kind of year to forget and nine being outstanding and why don't we go up to a 10 this has always troubled me (laughs) well it's actually a matter of um, debate because I was always told so I've been a um campaign and and kind of associated magazines for 13 years and I was always told it was because 10 was perfection and it is not possible um, for an agency to achieve perfection therefore nine is the best anyone um, can ever do Um, and then Michael Porter um, lastly of this parish she's now group um, managing editor across um, Haymarket Business Media said it was just because they didn't fit in the columns um, (laughs) in the old style kind of campaign mag Um, and so so yeah I don't know if there's a bit of post-rationalisation there but you know scoring something out of nine requires a bit more nuance maybe a little bit more thought Um, you know I know that um, Time Out used to give their reviews out of six rather than five for a similar reason so maybe there's a sort of you know a, a practical behind it too. Okay, well, I'm going to just ask some questions that I think maybe a lot of people think but are scared to ask us. So first of all, who are we to judge these agencies? Like, what are we, what are we basing our reports on? How do we put them together? Well, I mean, we're professional journalists who spend our lives use, you know, researching facts and um, situations and companies and people, uh, and making a judgment about what we think the kind of truth is um and that's true I mean it's fair enough you know people might say oh but you haven't worked in a um you know you haven't worked in a day and agency who you to to judge and I'd say well yeah but have you been a professional journalist and you know kind of put together a you know a feature on the health of a a company or a sector and that's what we try to do you know we try and be as objective as possible with the information that we have so the agencies fill out a form which is really important and that lists lots of data also gives them the opportunity to talk about important things like their diversity efforts and also their environmental work and also has a sort of section for kind of any other business at the end and has a list of their wins and losses which we obviously corroborate and we spend a long time discussing kind of the write-ups and the scores and um and kind of making a 
a judgment about where we think the agencies are. I mean, Kate, I don't know if you want to come in. You were obviously heavily involved in the organisation of it this year. Yeah, it's, it's a huge project and we all take it very seriously. It's the, the kind of rigour that goes into it, I think, lots of people will be surprised by. You know, even from starting out, deciding which agencies we're going to cover. Um, as Maisie said, these forms that the agencies fill out are really in-depth, mm. um, go into a, a lot of detail about an agency's year. We've got all of those historic forms as well so we use you know look back on them and we sort of scrutinize any changes that have taken place you know if there are issues we don't think the forms are you know stacking up because sometimes different people you know different people each year might fill out the form and so we always go back to agencies and I'm sure lots of agencies listening will be thinking these painful conversations we have to have about whether a client is you know project based whether it's you know when it's retained etc and we know we take it very seriously and as Maisie said you know we do spend we do dedicate our lives to, to you know, looking, covering this industry, you know, and, and we kind of also talk to lots of third parties that work with um, agencies as well to help us kind of properly shape our opinions on them. So it's done with a lot of rigor and care and attention. And I can confirm we spend a lot of time doing it. For us, it's kind of like finals week. It feels like, you know, every, it's like our biggest issue of the year or one of them. Um, but basically a cloud over our head from December. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's coming, you know, it's basically going to take up your life for the four months. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So obviously 2020 was a really difficult year for a lot of people. And I think some of the challenges were kind of outside people's control and they probably faced, you know, threats to their business that they never would have anticipated. How much did you take that into account when you were evaluating the agencies? And do you think that you know, now that you've read 100 plus reports or something, do you think that the industry is in a good shape? Are you are you optimistic for the rest of the year? I was struck by the scale of the financial issues in the Nielsen figures. And I think that really showed, I think it was three quarters of agencies had seen a sort of big drop in billings. Mm. And obviously that's not a kind of perfect measure of an agency's financial health, but it's certainly a good indicator. So I think that was very sobering to see that. That said, I think... I mean, probably speak to most agencies, I think people were really, really worried in March when it all kind of first kicked off. And, you know, people, clients were kind of cancelling their their um, advertising and it was all kind of looking, you know, quite hairy. And I think probably most people you speak to will say that actually by the year's end, it wasn't as bad as they had initially feared. That's good. And I think agencies are in a kind of good shape going forward now. Um, and I also think, and I'm sure we'll get to this on the diversity point, that Yes, there was a drop in senior women, and that's something maybe we can discuss. But um, overall, it didn't look like you know, agencies were still um, thinking that it was a big, serious issue, which it is, and were still kind of committed to trying to improve diversity in the agencies, despite what was a really horrible, horrible year. So I, th- I think there were some things to be positive about. We'll come back to that diversity point. But Maisie, since you wrote a column about the school reports, was there anything you wanted to say about kind of the health of the industry and where it's going well I mean I think I just sort of build on I guess Kate's point there really that I think in I mean I wasn't around um I had other concerns um with two young children at home but um but you know in April sort of May there was a real fear about whether you know where businesses were going whether they you know had enough cash coming in to kind of continue as a going concern and so when you look at sort of how they ended up I think of a lot a lot of agencies obviously had a very tough time but did some great things and we yeah. tried to kind of recognize that um and kind of where there was a debate around say the mark you know we usually sort of ended up at the the higher mark on that basis we tried to kind of give people a, a bit of a benefit of the doubt 
Obviously, you had some agencies that did really well. You had NCA coming out the blocks and picking up, you know, the Vodafone account, which is really big, and Halifax, um, Mother, Leith, and Uncommon all repaid their furlough money, which is, you know, fantastic to see, both on a sort of from a moral kind of standpoint, but also, you know, uh, as a sort of real statement of intent, I suppose, of where their business is going. And so, you know, I think there is. Getting through the year, I think I put in my leader was an achievement. And I, I really mean that. And particularly for the independent businesses where it's genuinely, you know, their money, their house potentially on the line to kind of keep the thing going. I think agencies did a good job in, in really difficult circumstances. Um, on the billings point, it will be interesting to see what happens to billings this year because, you know, how much of that decline was about sort of clients pulling back spend and holding and waiting Mm. um, for things to open up rather than a a kind of a structural shift you know in maybe their agency's health or the sort of media mix. I think also this wasn't even just a financial issue like think about the massive cultural and societal impact that has taken place over the last 12 months and agencies were not just having to deal with the financial implications of you know clients cutting spend etc but they were actually having to deal with the in a entirely remote workforce for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there are huge things that they've had to face this year, you know, like other businesses as well, like other industries. But um, I, yeah, as you say, I think they should be proud of themselves having kind of survived that and, and in pretty good shape. Well, let's talk about diversity because uh, a few weeks ago I wrote about the IPA agency census and those figures kind of confirmed something that we were hearing already that the people who were being hardest hit by the pandemic seem to be women and younger people and also older people. Um, And I think we've reported the figures of the diversity of agency staff for several years now, but this year we really took a greater scrutiny on on that issue. Maisie, can you kind of explain like what went into that thinking and what are you observing? How much did it influence our analysis of each agency? Well, I think we've been um, collecting sort of stats on agency um, diversity since um, Tom Knox was president of the IPA. Um, And obviously it's, you know, it's something that's really important. We publish more detail um, on agencies' diversity metrics this year, where agencies had supplied them. Um, Obviously some agencies choose for a variety of reasons not to supply the data. Um, Our view is that in this area, unless we know the numbers, we can't know how far the journey is um, and, it, and it is really important to share those numbers, even if they are uncomfortable, uncomfortable. So while some agencies really deserve credit for sharing their numbers, at the same time, it is disappointing that, um, you know, there's still some agencies with, say, all white staff or some agencies where, you know, the women in senior leadership are still at quite low positions. Um, mm-hmm. And as you both said, the, you know, the stats, the women in senior leadership has declined slightly um, and I think is now was it lower than where we were in 2018 Kate yeah that's right which is disappointing and we are a long way off hitting that IPA target of 15% of senior leadership from BAME background and the campaign editorial team really believe you know this isn't you know we don't talk and write about diversity um, for any other reason than we think it's really important and Mm. you know important for the business important for the industry as a whole in and also important for society. And there were some quite strong feelings in the team about 
whether agencies, you know, should be getting high marks depending on what their, you know, metrics were. And so we we haven't formalised anything to do with that. But, you know, we did try to highlight where there was work to be done. Mm. And I know that would have been, you know, uncomfortable reading for some agencies. And so, you know, some agencies that do great work still need to sort of make the change in in their kind of, you know, staff makeup. I really believe it's important that only by pushing and talking about this will will change happen and as many people have said in the past you know diversity isn't the problem it's the answer and you know the having diversity of thought can only help creative businesses do better work for their clients and and I think most of us believe that well all of us obviously (laughs) yeah there were very fierce debates in the team about this it's an issue that I think we all care about quite deeply it's obviously a, a very tricky issue it's you know very nuanced and kind of getting the right balance is 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 difficult um but it's something as Maisie said we we do think it's something that's going to help you know it's a business critical issue so and I mean how much did that influence the scores that agencies got it sometimes did influence the scores but not always definitively it was an important part of the discussion and there were some agencies you know, where it influenced it. And there were some agencies where the scores didn't change, but we made a point of highlighting the kind of elements that we think they need to continue to push forward on. But whether whether there is a more, you know, structured relationship between people's diversity stats and their marks in the future, I don't know, that's something to maybe be debated. Right. Um, but, you know, we have a, a campaign where in a, you know, we're in a powerful position, you know, the reason we, well, one of the reasons we spend so much time on the school reports is we know how important they are for businesses and for the people who work for them and the leaders, you know, you can have leaders who are kind of KPI'd on the marks and things, you know, so that's, you know, one of the reasons, apart from just general professionalism, that's one of the reasons we take it so seriously. Um, and and so that's a, you know, a power that we have. So a potential conversation in the future is, do we link marks to something like diversity in a more um, open and obvious way um, to kind of use that power to enact the change that we'd like to see? But that's sort of still up for debate. At this stage, we are we were asked, we've asked for more this year. We asked for information on pay gaps, which we haven't done before. And I, I think we are conscious that some agencies are submitting all their figures and others aren't. And you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be careful not to penalise people that are submitting those figures to us, even if they're not great, because they're at least helping by, you know, measuring it. And so we can track progress. And I think that we want to encourage that to take place. So we were kind of careful not to penalise somebody that had submitted those figures when there are other agencies that either, you know, for various reasons have chosen not to submit them. Hmm. Um because we thought that would be unfair. The other thing with diversity is that, you know, we're looking at gender and ethnicity, but obviously diversity is a much wider conversation than just those two figures, you know, and you mentioned at the beginning that this the pandemic seems to be affecting people of different ages differently. Class is something that we never really talk about that much um, because it's very hard to get figures again on that. And, you know, there's, there are the various, you know, you've written a great piece on neurodiversity. You know, there are lots of different types of diversity, you know, disabilities and stuff that are not reflected in these two two marks that we, you know we're looking at you know the, the gender and ethnicity stuff so it's a it's a very nuanced kind of debate and it's something that we're trying to do our our part on yeah well it is very nuanced but a question that I get a lot and I'm sure both of you do as well is 
how do you get a high score? <laughs> so many agencies want to know how do they improve their score or what makes an agency get something like an eight or a nine? What goes into it? What doesn't go into it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to my mind, I mean, the most important thing to start with in, you know, for any, regardless of the type of agency is the work, I think, because I could think of work, you know, really great work or sometimes really just being quite prolific can lift a, an agency um, kind of to the next mark, as it were, where maybe the new business case is a bit more complicated. If you're doing lots of work during the year and you're sharing that with us, we know about it, um, then that is sort of 101, kind of the most important thing, I would say. Next up is obviously new business. You can't win everything, but if you've won some, you know, really hot, interesting work um or been able to share with us what you've won for new for existing clients as well um that's really important having a, a stable management team is always good but if you've hired someone who's brilliant that can also help and then you get into the what you're doing around diversity what are you doing around kind of wider sort of industry um an agency like say good stuff the independent media agency is really has done a lot of work in supporting other independents and bringing kind of independent media and creative agencies together um you know work like that can stand you in good stead as well but i do i think i mean to sort of twist the question around if someone is disappointed with their mark um first up come and talk to us about it you know if they want i'm here ring me um but if we want to look forward and hopefully we all do if we don't understand if we're not understanding how brilliant you are on the basis of the information you're giving us then give us some more information as i sort of referred to at the beginning we're journalists you know we use the resources that we have and the resources that we find and so you know we won't be able to write about everything you do but um, if you are able to kind of share the work that you're doing for clients through the year, the new business wins, you know, if you're able to talk to us about things confidentially, maybe that we can't write mm. about, but just so we understand the scope and the scale of them, um, you know, then that means when we sit down to do the reports, we'll be in a better position. Because sometimes when you're kind of confronted with a win, say, on a on a form that we've not heard about and we can't include in the write-up anyway, it's really hard to kind of ascertain how crucial that is to an agency's business. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of, and, and I'm sort of hesitating because the team might groan, but, you know, get in touch with everything that you're doing that you're proud of through the year um, is, is the best way, I would say, um, of getting, getting those top marks. Kate, do you have any tips to add? How do you get a high score? I think that was a pretty comprehensive uh, answer from Maisie. Um, you know, when, when you're confronted with this agency win, you know, an interesting win that you've never heard of, can't write about, um, you don't really get a sense of, you know, what it is. It's, it's sort of difficult in a, you know, a sentence on a report to kind of really properly understand what that is. Yeah, I guess it's sort of a, a sense of momentum, generally, a feeling like the agency is progressing is doing well it's getting talked about by their peers it's getting talked about by the intermediaries it's get you know in the same way that you know the listeners will have an idea of what agencies are doing well that, that's all you know we use the same sort of things as well so I think the one thing as well is I mentioned earlier that the scores are related to the agency and their history and their background um, more than they are related to other agencies in that year now I've already, I've already said that I've already, I've already said this but like say so for example this year Adam and Eve had quite a quiet year they are an amazing agency full of really talented people. Um, but by their very high standards, you know, they were a bit quieter, so they got 
they got a seven. That was one of the reasons. And again, if they want to talk to me about it, I'm here. Um, but, you know, there's, say, another agency like Pablo, who's kind of just come on the scene a little bit and has been kind of, you know, getting in uh, marketers' diaries, winning business. Obviously, the Deliveroo workout came out recently. They got an eight. Hmm, that's a good point. We're not comparing Pablo with Adam and Eve in the way that seems on first glance. You know, that's to recognise the growth and um, things that Pablo have done. They have quite an interesting move around the kind of pandemic and closing their office and stuff like that. You know, it's it's a reflection of where they are and where they're going. And I guess to Kate, to build on Kate, the momentum question. But Adam and Eve are DDB are a fantastic agency, and I don't doubt that they'll. You know, they've got loads more nines in them. I think that's a really good point worth stressing as well, because it's something that we mentioned a lot when we're particularly when we're scoring that we're not saying these agencies are the A students and these agencies are the B students that you it's all compared on their individual performance as Maisie said so if you had a you know if you have improved on your previous year or you've maintained your standard from last year then that will be reflected in your score and it's not comparing you to your peers. That's good to know well I wanted to ask you kind of shift the conversation slightly but it is related to the overall health of the industry so this is a debate that's kind of been going on for a while which is the the threat I guess you may call it of in-housing or brands creating their own in-house creative teams and this came up again recently because we did an interview with John Hegarty, advertising legend, co-founder of BBH, and he said that one of the best pieces of work he's seen in the past 18 months was actually created in-house by the oat milk brand Oatly. And then he went on to criticize agencies and say that the craft skills within agencies are kind of on the decline. And obviously, you know, our question of the week this week is, can in-housing produce consistently strong creative work? And it could be seen as a threat because if more brands, there have been a few other examples, bring their creative work in-house, what does that mean for agencies? What role should agencies be playing? But I just wanted to see what you both thought of that. Do you think that Haggerty is on to something that some of the best creativity is actually coming from outside of agency land. I had loads of thoughts after reading this interview. He, he mentioned so many different things and it would probably take me all day to get through them all. But I think um, it was really interesting about the in-house point and particularly about the idea that, and, and this is in the pandemic, there's certainly a kind of anecdotal feel anyway, that um, a lot of the time it's more senior, more experienced people that are being made redundant because they're seen as more expensive or they are more expensive um, and that a lot of these people are the people that are leaving the workforce and it, it kind of goes back to this idea that the industry seems to not really respect experience but sort of prioritizes youth and you know feeling like youth has got the kind of create this new creative energy and stuff and that once you're past a certain point or age that you know you need to you, you don't have that fresh energy anymore and it, and it's a real shame because as Hegarty is saying these people have got the craft skills and they've got the experience and they can write brilliant stuff and some of those people are going in-house or freelance and then creating some brilliant work there that's certainly his point um so I, I think it's an interesting it's a really interesting debate what do you think Maisie? I don't think there's any one place where I mean if there was an answer like a list of instructions and of how to achieve creative brilliance then you know then the industry might be in a you know, a sort of different place. I don't I don't think it's that straightforward, is it? It's not binary. I mean, you know, people like Hegarty now to give a good quote. And obviously, you know, it's a good line. It's an interesting viewpoint. And maybe I'm, I'm not doubting his sincerity. Um, but 
I think obviously there's some great work that is done in house. Oatly is is kind of being highlighted here, but there's also a lot of kind of more functional kind of messaging that's done by in house creative agencies. You know, I'm thinking of the old sort of David Golding collateral versus culture debate that we we kind of covered a few years ago, um, and I think to his point on craft, I mean the fact is there is probably less time to spend on the actual you know drawing of an outdoor ad say um then or or even maybe the editing of a tv ad than there was 20 years ago um but Mm -hmm. to say you know and and i'm sure that there might be something that's lost there Mm -hmm. but what we've gained a multitude of different ways to reach people in new environments and and i think you know there are craft skills in that that maybe John isn't recognizing or you know mm. or necessarily recognizing in the exact conversation we had with him you know so I think there's probably those comments I'm sure were read by people lots of people who were like yeah everything is shit and then also read by lots of people being like what does he know you know yeah. and, you know as a a publisher that's fantastic because you've got kind of two audiences for a story um but I suspect the actual answer is less binary I was really surprised that Hegarty called out Oatly as the best example of creativity in the past 18 months. Like, no offense to Oatly. I think they're a really interesting company. But I would definitely disagree that that was a shining example of where we should all be going. I think that something that Oatly talks about, I met some of the leaders a couple years ago, is that they wanted to get get rid of some of the process that happens in agencies that they see as unnecessary. So endless meetings, for example, or endless rounds of approval or feedback. And and I have heard others say that they think that could be hurting creativity within agencies, like getting so many stages of people to approve a piece of work, for example. And I so I see that point. And I think whatever Oatly's doing seems to be working out well for them. But I think that maybe our maybe the idea of craft is just shifting. Like there are different types of craft skills that agencies are bringing into their businesses. And we should recognize that as well. I think it's it's kind of an, an insult to agencies to say that their their skills are on the decline. But I think that something that agencies bring, which one of our respondents to the question of the week brings up, um, Ravi Hitchcock, he says that agencies should bring should challenge conventional thinking. And I think that's a really important role that um, hopefully they hold on to that they should be the challengers to an in-house team. And even if they work together with an in-house agency, that they can merge those two perspectives and hopefully come out with something better on the other side. So one of the things that came up on a previous question piece was around the, um, you know, whether people can write in agencies anymore. And I think someone was in their response made the point that, you know, like the most creative people don't want to work in a bank because this was sort of in reference to Lloyd's Banking Group setting up their agency. And I think there probably is something in that. Mm. I was going to say, back to this sort of diversity of thought point again, isn't it, that um, I spoke to Nicola Wardell, who's the um, head of agency at Specsavers, and she was saying that um, she certainly thinks it's more efficient in-house because she's able to, you know, that they've got a real intimacy with the kind of clients and they understand what they need and they understand the brand really well and they don't have the same approvals processes. They're kind of closer to the client. So things are kind of, it's more efficient and they think they produce great work, which obviously Specsavers do. 
but yeah, I, I guess this diversity of thought point that an external agency can bring different experiences and different, you know, um, ideas in and that that only kind of can strengthen the creative landscape by the creativity is trying to pull together lots of different things from lots of different places to kind of come up with a new idea then the more places you're pulling an idea from the better yeah definitely well i'm sure it's a debate that will rage on but you can read our question of the week on this topic at campaignlive.co.uk you can also find the school reports there if you have hours to spend going through the different reports or you can just read a few yeah a read a few yeah <laughs> space it out give some give yourself something to look forward to each day <laughs> yeah. a few morning hobnob or something yeah all right uh well i think that's all we have time for but thank you kate and Maisie, and we'll talk to you listeners next week <laughs>